0: It's our first Tuesday of Tuesdays and Thursdays over the next three weeks where we're going to talk to mayoralty candidates about different issues pressing our city. So this first half hour today, we're going to dive into that. I'm not going to waste any time as Robert Falcon-Oulette, a mayoralty candidate, joins me now. Good afternoon, Robert. How are you?
1: (laughs) Hey, Tansay.
0: Hello. And what does that mean?
1: Oh, That means, uh, hello, all my relations. I'm very happy to be here.
0: Great. I appreciate that. And uh, we're happy you're here as well. And yeah, speaking in Korean, we appreciate that as well. Thank you for doing that. Um, There are vacant and derelict buildings throughout the city. That's the topic we're covering today, concentrated in many north end and inner city neighborhoods. Uh, The Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service has dealt with numerous fires in recent years. We've asked for the most up-to-date numbers, but haven't received those yet, but we're working on it. But in the meantime, what, if anything, would you do to deal with the problem?
1: Uh, with a derelict and uh, vacant buildings. Wow. Um, well, I think there's a huge issue surrounding homelessness within our city uh, that has to be dealt with, first of all. I think that actually should be our top priority, no matter what it is that we talk about. And that relates to mental health, but addictions as well. Because when you have addictions, I was just at the Mental Health Conference, which is being held in St. Boniface uh, today. And uh, when you have addictions, uh, often you know, it impacts your uh, professional life, your social life, your family life, and over time, after you lose your job because that dependence becomes greater and greater, then you have to, and you can obtain money through borrowing money or borrowing from family and friends or from, from the bank, to pay for that dependence, you end up having to go to petty crime and stealing or other activities which are illegal. And this is like the biggest problem in our city because a lot of these dependencies on drugs go untreated. Uh, we have a huge wait time at the uh, Addiction Foundation in Manitoba. We have huge wait times for obtaining any form of treatment, and we don't have enough follow-up with people who do manage to get into treatment to make sure that they are successful in getting out of these these bad behaviors. And so for myself, uh, and I think for a lot of people, I think we're quite fed up uh, with the whole situation in that a lot of government officials, and this is my personal experience as an MP, while everyone says really great things, uh, at the end of the day, you know, they check a box, and they say, yeah, we announced a few dollars to deal with this, and then they go and they focus on what it was really of interest to them in their own social networks, talking to the people that they like to talk to, instead of actually dealing with the problems which impact everyone across the city. And I know people, a lot of people don't like, uh, you know, dealing with uh, homeless, but you know, at the end of the day, these are our brothers and sisters. And we have to make a difference because people are leaving the city because they're unhappy with the situation. It leads to neighborhoods where they start abandoning buildings uh, and not wanting to live downtown, where landlords don't want to rent to people because they're afraid they're going to get trashed. And it creates a situation where we do end up with a, uh, with a, a hollowed out inner city, much like American cities. And so this is a major problem. Now, I had a conversation with the mayor of a former mayor of Oklahoma uh, just last week, and we were talking about his downtown, which was suffering the same uh, ill effects that Winnipeg is going through right now. And in about 10 years, they turned it around because instead of just focusing on what politicians like to focus on, it actually focused on where it was where it needed the most care, the most love and care. In their city, and uh, and what they were able to do is turn Oklahoma into one of the a uh, city that was on the decline into one of the most thriving cities and growing cities in the United States, moving from rank number twenty two to twenty six on the size of large cities in the U.S. But also making it so that people from uh, New York or California were actually wanting to move to Oklahoma for the quality of life, the affordability levels. Uh, to raise their families because it was a beautiful city and it was beautiful everywhere, not only in the suburbs, but downtown. And this is what I see for us. Um, you know, we're talking about derelict buildings today, but think about all those downtown surface parking lots. That does not make our city a safe city. 20% of our downtown core is a surface parking lot. 20% of that is actually owned by the government. Our government is our own worst enemy in this case because those downtown surface parking lots add no value to the quality of life in our city. So, Robert, I can I... I don't mean to rant, rant and rave, but uh, it's, it's, I'm really passionate about this, and I want a better city for all of us.
0: For sure. And, and Robert, I think we all want that, and, and I, I appreciate the points you're bringing up, but as for Derelict buildings... Specifically, the process to track down owners of these houses can take months, if not years. And I'm wondering um, uh, twofold here. What steps would you take to reduce the time to deal with the owners of these properties? But also, what, if anything, would you change when it comes to the city bylaws to increase penalties to property owners like we see in other cities?
1: Well, I think there are actually lots of bylaws and regulations on the books. Uh, You can seize these buildings. The question is, do the elected officials have the courage to actually go ahead and do so? A lot of the people who own these buildings are part of the landed or the, uh, the, the, the people who own uh, a lot of property in the city. Many of them own dozens and, and hundreds of properties right across the city. They don't own it to a lot of campaigns. They're very extremely well connected. At the end of the day, the politicians have to have the courage to say enough is enough. Uh, if you're not going to do anything with it, we're going to uh, issue fines to make sure that they're kept up to code, that they're uh, that the that you don't let the building degrade, that you look after it. And if you refuse to do these things, then we are going to seize it. And and I know some candidates have suggested selling it off to other people, but what I would suggest is actually making sure these buildings become available to. Uh, inner city people who want to live in these neighborhoods, uh, indigenous peoples, people who are working class, newcomers, so they can start building up capital and participating uh, you know, in our society in a much more positive way. If we have more home ownership in our downtown core, we're going to have more pride of ownership. And it's not just simply, I know some candidates like uh, Jenny has suggested, you know, seizing the buildings and selling them to landlords. Uh, we don't need more landlords in the downtown court. We need home owners where people are actually invested in the well-being of our inner city neighborhoods.
0: Mayoralty candidate uh, Robert Falcon Ouellette is joining us today to talk about the idea and the concept of what to do with their like buildings. Um, Robert, organizations like Habitat for Humanity Winnipeg have expressed a desire to partner with Winnipeg to purchase and convert properties into affordable housing. What's your ideas on, on some of those areas of, of those kind of charities?
1: Well, that's uh, actually an amazing idea. Um because here again, it's the whole concept surrounding people who are invested in the neighbourhoods in which they live, home ownership. And that is extremely important. Uh, you know, I was, I was just talking about the surface parking lot downtown. There are so many community groups that actually want to build housing, uh, but they can't find property to do it on. And, and you can't, if you don't have property, you can't apply to the Canadian a Mortgage and Housing Corporation, where you can get federal dollars almost at 90% funding to build a lot of housing. Uh, You know, all those surface parking lots downtown that are owned by governments should be handed over to uh, co-ops and other community groups to actually build housing downtown for people who need it, building senior centres, building places for newcomers, Indigenous peoples, people of all walks of life, and get everyone rubbing shoulders together to get a vibrant Driving downtown, so we can actually have a city we can be proud of. I do not want to have a city which is known as, as being Garbage Hill. I know this was a joke at one point, but I was so ashamed. Uh, that this was what the whole of North America was laughing about with Jimmy Fallon on the late night show, um, or the tonight show. I think Winnipeg, we should be known as a place where people from Montreal, Vancouver, Toronto, Calgary want to move to, and not the other way around. We should be looking to develop this city, which is truly at a gateway, the heart of Canada, into something which is thriving and beautiful, having good urban planning, having infrastructure uh, which is uh, which makes you uh, want to be out and about. And there, are, I have a lot of I have a, there are a lot of plans. Most of the plans, actually, I have. Incredibly enough, do not cost a lot of money. But it's a mentality change surrounding what it is that we do in leadership positions. Now, I spent 27 years in the military. And the reason I raise leadership is I've seen terrible leaders and I've seen amazing leaders, men and women who you would follow into battle, willing to risk your life for them because you love them and you care about them. And, you know, we also willing really to risk our life for our country, but it's for the people surrounding you. You know, we need a leader of the city who's going to be able to motivate a lot of the organizations and other elected officials to get around the table and actually start working together for one. When I was the MP, one of the things I was most surprised about was that elected officials don't work together. Time and time again, I thought, I had this naive impression when I was first elected as an MP that we would have these profound, deep conversations over the, the, the troubles and, and issues facing our city and our province and our country. And while there were a few conversations between MPs, there was nothing between different levels of government, between the feds, the province, the municipality, school trustees, indigenous governments, Uh, community organizations, these conversations did not happen. And we need to have a leader at least who is high enough in the influence realm uh, or, you know, able to bring people together in a nonpartisan way to say, hey, let's actually work together and build a city for all
0: of us. Robert, I'm going to have to leave uh, it. No, that's okay. I'm going to have to leave it there, though. We're right out of time, but I really appreciate you taking the time today.
1: Okay, I'll finish off with... At the end of the day, there are a lot of issues in our city. It requires, actually, I believe, a First Nations mayor to actually deal with them because they all intersect with a lot of issues and challenges that we face, and I think it's time that people vote for someone who's actually going to do something differently because what we've been doing for the last hundred years has not worked, and that's why we're here.
0: Robert Falcon Ouellette, mayoralty candidate. will talk with another candidate, Rick Schoen, next about the same topic when we come back to The Jim Tilth Show on 680 CJOB. And welcome back to the program. Uh, We are kicking off our um, specific topics concerning this municipal election on October 26th with mayoralty candidates. And I welcome into the program to talk derelict buildings, Mr. Rick Schoen. Rick, thanks for joining me. How are you today?
2: Great, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time, and we'll get right into it. We're talking, there, like buildings throughout the city, concentrated in many north-end and inner-city neighbourhoods. Uh, we don't have the exact stats from the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service as of right now, or the most up-to-date, I should say. But mm-hmm. in the meantime, what, if anything, would you do to deal with the problem overall?
2: Yeah, you know, I love that this was the topic because um, this was actually one of the very first policy announcements that I brought out. My my business is downtown and I've been working, uh, you know, to get um, the city to look at these derelict buildings a lot harder than they are. I mean, West End, Central Neighborhoods, downtown, uh, just tons and tons of derelict buildings. So the policy that I put out was to get a lot harder on the fees that we charge um, the landlords of these properties. So, right now the fee could be one percent uh, assessed value of property tax. My plan is to double that and also shorten the time frame. So, if your house is is derelict for six months, the fee basically automatically kicks in. Right now, we we have about seven hundred vacant buildings, but the city is not making any revenues on these buildings at all. In fact, the city department that run, that manages these is losing about half a million dollars a year uh, right now managing these these derelict buildings.
0: Well, along those lines, the process to track down owners of these houses can take, you know, months and sometimes years. What steps mm-hmm. will you take to reduce the time to deal with the owners of these properties?
2: yeah sure can i mean the the simple thing here is to assess a a fine obviously as what we call it was a tax uh based on that on that value and um yeah i mean at some point if that if that tax is not paid, the property tax is not paid, then the city could definitely look at the option of seizing. I was not uh in favor of uh going straight to seizing on these properties. I want to give the property owners a chance to actually uh you know either sell the properties or restore them on their own there are a lot of good landlords out there but i think the city needs to be a lot stricter on the time frame and really um, you know enforcing this rule to get them to do it in a much quicker time frame
0: i think you've already answered this uh rick but i'll i'll give you the opportunity to just to follow up on that um would you change when it comes to city bylaws to increase penalties to property owners i just want to confirm if you're in favor of that like yeah, i exactly. do. yeah exactly
2: <clears throat> yeah this is uh this is a change to uh to a bylaw and so right now it's a one percent tax that's that's uh, assessed but you know what the the crazy thing is is that because we have a complaint system so a property could set vacant for quite some time the first complaint triggers you know triggers the city to look at it. And uh, you could have basically up to five complaints over years before the city really starts charging any money on it. So just to give you an idea, like in the 2023 projected budget, the city is looking at bringing in about $450,000 of revenues on vacant properties. That is, uh, if there's 700 houses, I, you know, I worked that out. It's about $650 a house. Like it's really not very expensive. So the incentive for, you know, for landlords to do something with this house is, is not great. If we were to charge a 2% tax on all of those houses, the city would make almost $3 million a year.
0: Or That's significant. Organizations like Habitat for Humanity Winnipeg have expressed a desire to partner with Winnipeg to purchase and convert properties into affordable housing. What ideas do you have in that area?
2: Yeah, I think like, you know, housing uh, not for profits like Habitat, who, um, you know, I know the organization quite well. Uh, I think it's great because they focus on a specific group of people who needs housing. It's low-income housing. It's not. It's it's, it's kind of you know it's it's low-income housing. It's not free housing. Um, but it is a, a very good organization. I think there's a lot of other not-for-profits out there that could actually take this housing stock and do something valuable with it, rather than having 700 houses sit uh, sit empty. I mean, I I've been documenting many of these houses over the last five years, and they follow us. They follow a certain cycle. You know, they become vacant, they get boarded up, people break in, steal property, burn the house down. It's it's a hazard to the neighborhood. It's a hazard to the neighbors. It's an eyesore. Uh, so we really need to be much, much stricter on this.
0: One of the challenges we've heard from groups like Habitat and, and their ideas for this is that they can't demolish until they are ready to build. Is there room for change in that rule, in your opinion, so building doesn't just sit there like you were mentioning?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think so. You definitely want to be a little careful. We, want, we don't want to demolish everything just with, you know, free reign. So I, I think there should be rules, rules there as well. Um, but it is a bit of a it is a bit of a problem too. And the other problem too is I noticed that there's actually today even there's a few houses in the West End and, and apartment buildings that have been demolished. Uh, but they're sitting in major rubble piles for three months, like three, four months, and they're not being cleaned up and, and, and um you know, nothing's been done. It's just a complete hazard to the neighborhood. So I think that would be something I would look at too, is just that speed up the process of of demolition. But some of these old houses they are Uh, I, You know, these are like 100 in downtown West End. Like, they're over 100-year-old houses. I mean, they're, you know, they're part of Winnipeg's history, too. I would love to see them refurbished and renovated if possible. And then if not... You know then they you know I'm a proponent of not tearing down houses and 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 stuff, but at some point, if the house has just fallen way beyond disrepair, I mean you have to just tear it down and move on it there's there's no saving it unfortunately
0: some have suggested Rick that these homes if they'd been in the south end of the city, Winnipeg would not stand for this. Do you agree with that assessment yeah i
2: i I would tend to agree um you know these are these are houses oftentimes that are um like lower value houses they're assessed at lower values so they're also houses that in a lot of cases have been used as rentals so like you said the landlord is maybe not local they may also have a dozens of houses uh so they're um you know one particular landlord on juno i was working with it's um they just got in over their head, weren't a particularly bad person or anything like that. They were trying to actually do a good job, but uh, they got in over their head as, um you know, as uh, members of a gang took over a house, made it a drug house you know, couldn't evict them, ended up burning down. And it was just a total disaster for this person. And I think they ended up actually selling the bulk of their houses as a result, just getting right out of the business.
0: We're talking derelict Holmes with mayoralty candidate Rick Schoen here on 680 Joe, I only have about 30 seconds left, Rick, but I wanted to get this one last in. Uh, do you believe there is a bias in the city that goes all the way to the administration of Winnipeg that essentially fails to deal with these issues in core areas? Just following up on that assessment of if this was in the south part of the city, it wouldn't happen.
2: Yeah, I'm not so sure it's a bias. I'm almost just... um you know, it's like turning a blind eye and kind of not, uh, you know, not dealing with the issues in the core. And we can we could lead this garbage, into, this conversation into garbage as well, because, you know, these are major issues. And I think the city just needs to actually put more emphasis on focusing on those areas and giving them the help that they need and, and making sure that, you know, uh, that neighborhood is as vibrant and thriving as some of the other neighborhoods in the city.
0: Appreciate your time, Rick. Thanks for doing this.
2: Thanks so much, Jim. Appreciate it.
0: Very pleased to welcome in Michelle Pereira, Chief Operating Officer for Habitat for Humanity Manitoba Chapter. Good afternoon, Michelle. How are you? I'm well. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you joining us today because we're uh, talking derelict buildings with a bunch of the mayoralty candidates for the October 26 municipal election. And, and Habitat for Humanity is an organization that could benefit uh, from buildings overall in general. Um, what do you know, what can you tell us about, um, getting buildings or derelict buildings or, or just generally getting some housing done from the province or the city? Well, let, I mean, specifically the city.
3: Okay. <laughs> so we purchase property just like any developer does almost always. So it, on occasion, uh, we would receive uh favorable pricing from the city, depending on, you know, what, um, programs they have in place, but almost always we will buy it, we, somebody will approach us, on occasion we'll get somebody to donate land to us for a tax receipt, but almost always we buy it. Uh, and it, and it's, we try to get below market, but, you know, based on uh, the market, the area that we're building. Or that we're seeking out, we do like to um, buy in areas where we can renew a new neighborhood. For instance, I mean, large parcels of land are always ideal for us because then we could build there for two or three years. But you know, infill is an important part of our mission as well, and um, and so we, you know, we do have look for those opportunities.
0: And I should have maybe started with this being the first question. I think, and, and it's my own um, fault here, I know what Habitat for Humanity is, the great work you do and what you do. But maybe for those listening who don't, tell us about Habitat for Humanity and why you would need land and what you do.
3: So we always uh, need about three to five years of in land in our inventory because we, we partner with a family, the relationship with them is probably a two to three year process before they actually move into their home. Um, And there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, We need to fundraise to build their house. Uh, They need to complete 500 hours of sweat equity. and and, And that's how much time it takes, about two years for an average family to complete their sweat equity, and they don't get to pick an address until they've uh, completed a certain percentage of that sweat equity, which is 500 hours per family. So we try to make sure that that's all in place. And then, and then if land needs to be developed, that takes time. And so say there's a, a derelict house that we're talking about that needs to be torn down, so that needs to, to be looked after. There's probably some zoning issues that have some variances that we have to go through, and all of that takes quite a bit of time. And so we want to make sure that we have a good pipeline of land that we can develop in our, uh, and ready to go. So we almost always have about three years of land in our inventory.
0: I understand there's more obstacles in this city compared to other provinces when it comes to acquiring land and working together with the city.
3: Yeah. I mean that, you know, the city has, uh, will on occasion put surplus land out. We, we look every week what surplus land is available that the city lists. Um, and, but the problem is, is that if there's a, if there's a house on it, like for instance, we won't be, the land that we have in our inventory now will take us to 2025. And so say we bought a piece of property today or two pieces in the core area that had a house on it that we could build a duplex on. Um, in order to demolish that building, you have to have a building permit in place. And what that means is there's a cost associated that with we paying for building permits, just like every other developer, and we do not get a discount. And so what, what it's irresponsible of us to go get a build permit if we know that we're not going to build for five years or three years. And so because they expire, and if they expire, then you have to reapply, and then there's another cost. And so donors that support our program uh, and our social enterprise, the restore that covers our administration costs, it's irresponsible of us as an organization to use those dollars when we know we're not going to be able to, to fulfill that obligation. And so if we were able to do a demo without a build permit, that would be, And I think you'll see a lot more derelict houses from everybody that owns property that has a derelict house that would come down if they didn't have to get a build permit.
0: So along those lines, and as we're discussing with other mayoralty candidates, and, and we've been asking them specifically with, with Habitat for Humanity or other organizations, if they could partner with them, what, what would you as an organization potentially see some things change in order to make it not only more accessible, but maybe less expensive for, for you to do what you do within the city?
3: You know, we're one of the few affiliates in the country that uh, does not see a return uh, gift from the municipality, per se, for the cost to do for the permitting and the variances in the zoning. So all of those um, cost money, and that comes out of our ability to serve more families. And so if there was a way to either and, – and all nonprofit builders in our market pay those same fees, and like a developer – uh, who is a for-profit builder? And so, if there's a way to 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 eliminate that, or at least got to get once the project's done and it meets all the requirements that the city agreed to, then you know, give us the money back or a portion of it back. We could serve a lot more families if we didn't have to pay these fees. And and you know, we're one of the few markets that require that in the country. Um, that and then get rid of the change the bylaw so we can demolish the house.
0: Oh, did we lose Michelle? we we'll just... Um, oh,
3: Sorry, nope. I lost you there. Yeah, so sorry. We have you back to, now. Uh, um, get a demo or a bill permit.
0: Right. And so can you just maybe for our listeners' knowledge of of what do some other provinces and how how is it different?
3: Almost always it's a... Almost always is that it's a return at the end. And so they'll pay the fee up front or they'll pay a discounted fee and then it will get... They'll get reimbursed later. Some waive it completely from the beginning but almost always it's once the project's completed you get reimbursed um and so we would we would love that and 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 you know and i don't know what our i when we were talking earlier i don't know what our total cost is but i know it's a significant amount of money that probably would build another house a year
0: another house a year. that's what i was going to ask you michelle is the great work you're doing what kind of a difference would it were, were we talking and and another house a year is what you've kind of estimated
3: I think so. Yeah, I think it I think it would be pretty close because, uh, you know, we're we're doing big pieces of land, like we're developing a three-acre piece of land right now, which is there are a lot of costs associated with that that, that we have to pay at fees to, you know, for different requirements of variances and zoning and all those types of things.
0: Yeah, and I really appreciate you explaining all that because I think a lot of people, in, in my experience with Habitat for Humanity, is you show up to help build or you show up when it's opening and do a story on it. Um, and you really don't see the, the three to five year process in order to get to that point.
3: Yeah, like right now, the project that we're building on Pandora, um, all the in-ground in is going in, all the infrastructure and the cost to do the infrastructure and the landscaping, not even building any houses, is $2.7 million. Wow. And that's going to serve 55 families. And then each house on top of that is probably going to cost us about two hundred fifty. $225,000 to 150 thousand dollars dollars per door to build the house on top of that. And that times 55. So, you know, you're at $11,000, $12 million just to get people in the door. And then, um, so, you know, and then on top of that, there's all the permitting. And oh, that's not including any permit costs or anything like that.
0: Well, I really appreciate you joining us today to talk about how you get to that point and how some of these derelict buildings and how the city works could, could work better or maybe help a little bit more, but also I wanted to talk about Habitat for Humanity, and, and you mentioned those costs. How can people just in general uh, get on board and help out with what you're doing?
3: You know, we, you can go to our website, habitat.mv.ca. There's a donate button on multiple pages for you to donate. Uh, you know, we you can make a personal donation. Your company can come out, and, and, you know, I know the Global team and the Chorus team have come out to, to swing a hammer with us and you can sponsor your staff to come out and do an engagement or come to an event. We have a gala coming up on November 17th. It's the first time in three years that we've had an in-person gala, at club region event center, uh, tickets are $200 a piece, or you can buy a table. And I think you got, I think Loren and someone else is coming to, to be our MC. So it's going to be a great time. And we've hired some folkorama, uh, people to come out and, uh, entertain you. So it's going to be an amazing amazing time and uh, we would welcome it and tickets are going well, but we would love to see you in person. And that's November 17th.
0: And I'm the first person in line to say, you don't actually have to be able to swing a hammer to help out. There are many ways and it's probably better if people like me don't. So there are other ways to help out as well. Uh, Michelle, this has been great informative and also uh, hope you get uh, some more help with the great work you're doing. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, cheers. Thanks. Michelle Pereira, chief operating officer for Habitat for Humanity Manitoba.